This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. everybody it's that time again that time of the week it's the transcend human podcast coming to you live from southern california monday morning where are we at oh my the end of january already january 30th 2023 so like i said welcome back um again i wanted to remind you that for some crazy reason uh the first three episodes that i've recorded this season this is the beginning of season four for those of you who are new to the show uh the first three episodes have just had this interesting connection between them and so i'm I'm kind of clumping them together but i'm not really officially calling it a series so for those of you who have uh, heard the first two this one will kind of feel like a continuation Um, If you're new and you have not listened to the first two, don't worry about it. This one will definitely stand alone on on its own. So that said, uh, let's dive in. So a minute of transparency this week, I'm just going to call wet behind the ears. So I think I've told you before that um, I spent seven years of my life living in Powell, Wyoming. So my family moved us there. I don't know. I think I was I was just going into the second grade. And when we got there and had been there for a little while, um, my family became good friends with this older Mexican couple um, who had lived in the Colorado and Wyoming areas most of their lives, uh, Lee and Isabel. And they were the caretakers. Uh, he was kind of like the caretaker of the, the small church that we attended. We spent time at their house. They spent time at ours. Uh, Lee also worked at the local middle school teaching Spanish, a class that I would find myself in in my eighth grade year. Lee introduced us to the Denver Broncos, and Isabel introduced us to her famous turkey enchiladas. And over the years, we came to love both. But somewhere at the beginning of this friendship, there was this rough patch. Not for them, not for anyone in my family, just really for me. So we were having a conversation one day, and I must have said something naive, uh, because Lee, or I'll call him Mr. Aguilar, proceeded to say, ha, you're funny and very wet behind the ears. Now, I didn't know what it meant, but I assumed that he was making fun of me. So I simply hung my head, left the room, and decided to do something else. At some point in the near future, it happened again. He told me that I was wet behind the ears. This happened multiple times, and at some point, I think I'd just had enough, so I snapped. I said, no, I'm not. I'm no different than you. I shower every day, and I dry off with a towel, especially behind my ears. See? Dry as a bone, so stop telling me that I'm wet behind my ears. Mr. Aguilar and every other adult that heard what I said had a good laugh at my expense. Then he apologized, and he explained what it meant to be wet behind the ears. After that day, we never spoke of it again. I went on to take his Spanish class, and I even began calling him Señor Aguilar. End of story. But isn't it funny that I still remember that, right? It must have made some impression on me during those impressionable years. 
Uh, later in life, uh, another friend of the family, family called me out one time in a similar way. She said, wow, you are one of the most sarcastic kids I've ever met. This time, I did know what the meaning of the word sarcastic was, but I still went home and I looked it up because I really wasn't sure why she called me out on it. And I wanted to see if there was truth in what she said. Now, both situations show just how powerful words can be, right? How the things that people say can literally stop us dead in our tracks and how they can even stick with you well into your adulthood. Today's topic, transcending brainwashing. Chapter one, but is it though? Chapter two, telling the difference. And chapter three, making it out alive. Number one, but is it though? So we'll get into this question in a minute, how to tell if something is really brainwashing or not. But first, let's take a stab at some of the places where we may have experienced this type of thing in our lives, starting with the obvious, parental brainwashing. Now, our parents have a huge impact on us, obviously, right? Mostly because they're there from the beginning. So if anyone has the opportunity to brainwash us, it has to be them. It starts with the things that they do, right? The way they act, the food they cook, the cleanliness of the house, the TV and movies that they watch, the music that they listen to. And that's all before they even open their mouths and say anything. But that's where the fun starts, right? The things that they actually have said or taught us with their words. Now, there are probably a thousand examples uh, that I could give for this in my own upbringing, but let's just take one from each parent, right? So one of the things my mom taught me, and she had probably said it, you know, numerous times over the years, was that nothing good happens after midnight. Now, this may sound very familiar to some of you as well. Probably some of you who grew up in pretty traditional Christian households. But when she taught me this, I think I was probably around the age of 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there, right, when dating started. And it was all related to dating. So the the general concept was that hanging out during the day, hanging out with groups of people, hanging out with friends, you know, throughout the evening was all well and good. But at some point, if it was just you and this significant other after midnight, that there was nothing good that would come from that interaction. Now, the funny thing is, this is one of the things that I'm pretty sure I said to my daughters as well when they reached dating age. Partly tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, I understood where my mom was coming from, right? Now, my dad's information was a little bit different, so my dad and I had this conversation a number of times related to dinosaurs. So, I know it sounds kind of funny, but when you're growing up a Christian and then you interface with people who are from the more scientific background, dinosaurs kind of become a debate, right? It's a question. Where did the dinosaurs come from? You have Christians who kind of believe the earth is anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 years old. And then you have the scientific community who believes that the world is millions and millions of years old and that dinosaurs are from one of those periods of time way back a million or two years ago. So we had those conversations from time to time. And he had a pretty interesting take on what it was that led to the existence of dinosaurs. So his idea, and I'm not really sure where it came from, but his idea is that 
people prior to the flood were much more intelligent than we are today, right? And this is based on the Bible explaining that, um, you know, people were a certain height, which was much taller than we are today. Uh, the Bible describes people as living for hundreds and hundreds of years, like up to 900 or 1,000 years, whereas we obviously live 70 years, right? And so the thought is that because these people are that much more intelligent, they had an understanding of genetics that we are just now finally uh, rediscovering in our time today. So the thought is that the people back then were messing around with genetics, crossbreeding, you know, various types of animals. And at that time, you know, the animals may have been a lot bigger than our animals are today, just like the people were. And so at some point in all of that genetic modification and crossbreeding, they came up with dinosaurs. Again, I'm not telling you that's what it is. I'm not telling you that that's how it happened. Um, but like I said, an interesting thing to have a conversation about. And because I had that conversation with my dad many times, um, it's just always stuck with me. And every now and then when someone has a conversation about where dinosaurs come from, what do you think the first thing is that pops into my mind? Genetic modification. Okay, the next area is educational brainwashing. And I think the real question here is, is the education we received legit? For me, I had the typical education, right, based on the cultural and the governmental or the state requirements. Uh, but I was also raised in a Christian school. So I was, you know, fed curriculum that was based on religious beliefs as well. And an interesting question that, that we're asking nowadays is, was our education legitimate? right? Or was it created as a means of propaganda? So more recently, we've heard terms like whitewashing history. Uh, we've seen the battle over critical race theory and whether or not it should be taught. Um, we've learned truths about our past, right? Our country's past, things like eugenics, abortion, Planned Parenthood, and the impact of the religious right. Um, even the fact that Hitler was fascinated with eugenics and he looked to our country for many of his ideas. Then you have the approved origin story, right, that is taught in public schools, which is evolution. And in eighth grade, um, I was forced to move from my Christian school to the public school, and I got to experience this for the first time. After years of Christian school, right, learning about our creator and the creation process as our origin story, um, I was forced to hear the alternate story, right, the one that the government feels like we need to hear. So my science teacher, who also just happened to be my football coach, um, began making fun of me in class because of my Christian beliefs. He said things like, I bet you believe in creation, don't you? Uh, you have to be pretty dumb to believe in God. Uh, you know, science is the only thing that can be proven. I bet you believe this stuff simply because your parents told you it's true, right? And then the big one. You do realize that the creation story was just made up by weak-minded people looking for a feel-good story about why we exist, right? Now, that may sound traumatic to some of you on some level, right? Like you would expect me to be suffering from residual PTSD later in my life. But I think I made it through that pretty well. I mean, looking back, it does seem pretty traumatic. I was in middle school. Uh, and it's a very sensitive time in your life, right? As a kid, you know, having your teacher call you out in front of the rest of the class, calling you dumb, 
and suggesting that you're brainwashed in some way. I mean, that, that had to be pretty impactful, but I can't really remember that, right? I can't re really remember feeling that way at the time. I think I just held my ground in class and I just let him believe whatever he wanted to believe, knowing that I wasn't going to be bullied into changing my belief. Okay, next up we have church and or religious brainwashing. So these are the things that we were taught about as kids, and most of these are spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs, beliefs that tend to answer the big three questions, right? Where we came from, why we're here, and where we go when we die. For me, there was no escaping this information. I got it at home from my parents. I got it at my Christian school from my teachers and the religion classes I had to take. And I heard it at church from our leaders in Sabbath school and in big church from the pastor himself. A lot of the things that I was taught um, are shared throughout the Christian or Protestant denominations. But as a Seventh-day Adventist, we had our unique set of beliefs as well. Teachings that kind of set us apart from other denominations and made us feel two ways. Special, but also at the same time a little weird. Next, you have cultural or societal brainwashing. So this is really the whole idea that we are what we see or we are what we experience. So during our upbringing, like, you know, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the books or the magazines that we read, when you look back, you start to realize just how impactful some of these things really were, right? The fact that we can recall specific scenes from movies or the fact that we remember the lyrics to numerous songs from our teen years or how TV parents and TV families actually work their way into our psyches somehow. Here's a question for you. Is it possible that some of your beliefs about science or even science fiction type ideas are based on the movies that you watched growing up? Think about it. Can your beliefs about space and space travel uh, be traced back to things you saw watching Star Trek? Or do you view the universe through the lens of Star Wars? Or maybe this. Do you believe that if we were to find dinosaur DNA in a mosquito trapped in amber, that scientists could probably take that DNA and recreate the dinosaurs? Now, I can follow that logic, right? And the reason I can follow that logic is due to the amazing explanation that Michael Crichton provided in his book, Jurassic Park. And these are just a few illustrations. I don't think we realize how big of an influence our culture has on us. And finally, there is specifically targeted brainwashing. Now, I don't know that I fall into this camp, but many have, right? Being targeted by a specific person or a group of people trying to get you to believe exactly what they believe. This could be a clique in high school. It could be an under-the-table club in college. Or it could literally be a cult, like the cults we talked about last week. Like I said, I don't know that I've ever experienced this uh, myself, but if you have and you made it away from that person or that group, then you understand this much better than I do. The manipulative power that was used to suck you in, the coercive techniques that held you there, and the fear that kept you from leaving. So there you go, just a few of the ways that we were potentially brainwashed while growing up. But let's get into the weeds a bit and try to determine if all of these things actually meet the criteria for what we would call brainwashing, right? So first off, let's define it. So the Collins Dictionary defines brainwashing as this. 
It says, if you brainwash someone, you force them to believe something by continually telling them that it is true and by preventing them from thinking about it properly. So before we move into the next article and talk about some actual criteria for brainwashing, I think there's a few things we can find in this definition that stand out. First, the word force, right? Forcing someone to believe something. Next, by continually telling them it is true. So in order to force the person to believe what you want them to believe, you tell them repetitiously. And finally, this whole concept of preventing them from thinking about it properly, which is equally manipulative, right? And it basically includes hiding the truth from the person or keeping them from seeing or reading materials that might dispute the things that you are saying. Okay, now let's dive into this article. So Robert J. Lifton um, suggests that there are eight criteria that make up brainwashing or mind control. So I linked to the article uh, in the show notes, and the article is written by a man named Stephen Hassan, who basically summarized Lifton's eight criteria for us. So the eight criteria are as follows. First, milieu control. So simply controlling an environment so that it is conducive to the things that you're trying to teach. An example of this could be you know, living in communities where only a specific religious tradition is taught or lived out. Number two, mystical manipulation. So this is when the beliefs are not yours, but they come from something higher, something that suggests, oh, they must be true, right? Because they're not my beliefs. I got these beliefs from something bigger than myself. And because they're bigger than me, then we can't question them, right? Because they're sacred in some way. Number three is the demand for purity. So one of the things that is pretty consistent in brainwashing is separating people from common culture, right? So pulling people away and then suggesting that there is a very specific lifestyle that needs to be lived. And in that lifestyle change, you're basically working toward a more perfect version of yourself. Number four is called the cult of confession. So in these scenarios where, where brainwashing is going on, there is a huge uh, emphasis placed on confession and transparency, right? Uh, in this way, it is even more clear to you that you are broken or bad in some way, right? Which leads to shame. And then it leads to you trying even harder to measure up or to meet the demands for purity that we talked about above. And this is a cycle that literally just feeds upon itself. Number five sacred science. So often the use of science or basically legitimized authorities um, are there to confirm abstract concepts. So in the case of abstract religious beliefs, they look for scientific evidence or they find people who are very high up to corroborate the claims that they're making. This in turn gets you to believe that it's true. Number six, loading of the language. So the concept here is basically distilling highly complex ideas down into very simple concepts and then repeating them over and over and over. So symbols, phrases, cliches, things that are memorized and then held too tightly without really understanding the larger concept. 
Number seven, doctrine over person. Simply put, taking what you've been taught over what you are experiencing. So doctrine over feelings or intuition. Your whole body may be telling you that something is wrong, but you are taught not to trust in that. You are taught to trust in what you were told instead. And number eight, dispensing of existence. So this is really setting up a hierarchy or a dichotomy. So there are those who are in and on the inside you're safe and everyone on the outside is evil and should not exist. This dichotomy really reinforces the need for you to maintain your connection to the belief system, right? It also sets up this level of fear because the outside is dangerous and leaving the belief system is ultimately you choosing to be evil or choosing not to exist. Okay, that got a little deep there for a second, but only because much of Lifton's work centers around the brainwashing and mind control that he researched in China. So he was researching a group called the Moon Cult in the 1970s, um, or a group better known as the Moonies. And there's definitely you know, a huge amount of overlap between brainwashing and mind control and what we talked about last week with authoritarian control, which develops into fully functioning cults. Number two, telling the difference. So obviously not everything we experienced growing up would be considered brainwashing, right? Especially after reading through the eight criteria and how intense some of them are. But to me, just because something doesn't fit all eight of these criteria doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And more importantly, it doesn't mean that the things that did happen, the things that we were taught, didn't have a very negative impact on us in some way. There's a really fine line there a line that some of us are still trying to find, right? We're looking back and we're trying to make sense of the things that we were told as kids growing up. And we're trying to decide how much weight should we give to some of those things. Now, I'm not going to walk through all of the things we discussed above, uh, each category of information that we were fed growing up, but let's at least take a few minutes to touch on the obvious one, religion, or the religious beliefs that many of us were raised with. Because I believe that there's an obvious awakening taking place, an awakening that we simply refer to as deconstruction or the deconstruction process. Basically taking the things that we were taught about God, Jesus, the Bible, Christian living, and all of the legalistic stuff that came along with it, and for the first time, doubting, analyzing, questioning, and really attempting to find the truth, if that exists at all. Now, what does this look like? Well, for me, this means distancing myself from the very institutions that promoted these beliefs, church or organized religion. It means opening myself up to other voices, listening to people who are also questioning the establishment, researching things that I believe to be true without questioning, and pulling back the thin veil that hides our ugly past, how the church was often the one promoting racist and white supremacist ideas among other things. Now, obviously, I'm referring to Christian deconstruction, right? As this is the only process that I really understand. And it's the one that's the most common here in this country. But that doesn't mean that deconstruction is a Christian thing. My guess is that people from any religious background would go through the same process. I don't know the prevalence of it in other religious traditions, 
But I do know in Christianity, it's a very real thing. And it's something that seems to be picking up momentum, especially since the 2020 elections. But this is where telling the difference comes in. Anytime we attempt to deconstruct something that we were taught, we're attempting to tell the difference between truth and fiction, regardless if it was considered brainwashing or not. Because here's a stunning fact that I left out. Brainwashing isn't always bad. Think about it, and you'll agree with me in a minute. There is a good side to brainwashing. Here's what I mean. If my wife and I brainwashed our kids all through their upbringing that life isn't fair, and in the end that statement proves to be true, that life is rarely if ever fair, then we simply brainwash them to understand a truth. Similar to gravity, right? If we spent countless hours telling our kids that if they jump off a cliff, they will fall and they would probably hurt themselves, is that something that they will need to deconstruct someday? Do they need to be enlightened and eventually get rid of their belief about gravity? No, of course not. In fact, if they do, they will most likely find themselves in a lot of pain. So at the end of the day, it isn't the brainwashing that's evil. It's how the brainwashing was used. Just like so many other things that we experience in the human condition, there is good and there is evil. And far too often, there is the ability to take something that is good and turn it into something that's evil. So now that we have that straight, it's back to telling the difference, right? When we look back at the things that we were taught by our parents, teachers, churches, our culture, etc., what we're really looking to determine is whether they were true or not. Now, here's a real-life example that has nothing to do with religion. We call them old wives' tales. Ever heard of those? It's the perfect illustration because we were literally brainwashed to believe some of them. But they're called old wives' tales because they're a little sus, right? And many times, they're proven not to be true. So here's a list just for fun. Peeing on a jellyfish sting alleviates pain. You can't swim after eating or you might drown. If you're carrying high, it's a girl. If you're carrying low, it's a boy. If you cross your eyes for too long, they'll get stuck that way. Bees are attracted to the color yellow. Bulls hate the color red. The five second rule, food on the floor doesn't become contaminated until after five seconds. Swallowed gum remains in your stomach for seven years. Coffee stunts your growth. Humans use only 10% of their brains. Now, some of these are almost comical, right? But others were probably part of our core belief structure for many years. Now, spoiler alert, the article that I found listing these claims suggests that none of these are true. Like I said, a good illustration of the way brainwashing works. When we hear something enough times, especially if we hear it from a person or people we trust, we can end up believing in something that isn't even true. Like that we are wet behind the ears, for example. Number three, making it out alive. Now that we understand what we're up against, um, I wanted to talk about the future for a few minutes and how we can make it out alive how we can deconstruct the things that we were taught and find the truth behind them in order to do two things. First, 
to live in reality. How amazing would that be, right? Living based on truth and factual information, not just basing our decisions and our future on what we were told by someone. Think about it. Wouldn't you rather go through your day making decisions based on cold, hard facts rather than finding out that you lived half your life believing in a fairy tale that wasn't even true? Number two, stop passing on the lies to the next generation. What would it look like if we raised our kids to search for truth versus telling them pass down fairy tales? What if we were transparent with them and said things like, this is something I'm pretty sure about based on the research that we have and a willingness to admit the opposite. This is just my opinion. Don't take this as the gospel truth because I have absolutely no evidence to back it up. Now, I get it. You're probably saying, Daryl, you're living in la-la land, dude. In what reality do you think we live where we magically have access to the truth on every subject? And you would be right. Making it out alive is not finding the truth to every single question we have, because that'll never happen, at least not this side of heaven. There will always be questions, right? People will always have beliefs that we can't prove true or false. This is very obvious with religion and science, right? And the debate between creationists and evolutionists. The creationist is relying on faith in something that he or she can't see or prove to be true. That is the existence of God. But at the same time, the evolutionist has to bank on the same thing. There has to be a level of faith in something that they can't see or prove to be true. We call it the missing link because nobody can prove that humans came from monkeys, right? There is just no scientific evidence that proves this to be true. So to make that leap, it requires an amount of faith that it's true. And that's the way it is with so many other beliefs. But where does that leave us, right? How can we make it out alive versus sticking our heads in the sand and just never questioning anything that we were taught? Ultimately, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I'll leave you with a little story that might help. Back in college, I jumped headlong into architecture. For the first two years that I was there, I worked hard, I took all the right classes, and I dreamed of sitting in a large firm someday, creating the next architectural wonder of the world. But two years in, I became disillusioned, and I left the department, switching my major to sociology. But while I was in the department, I spent a fair amount of time with a girl who was studying interior design. We didn't date. I mean, it wasn't like that. But we ran in the same crowd. We had the mutual friends. So we saw each other a lot. When I left the department, we lost touch for a good amount of time. But as we neared graduation, I remember reconnecting for some reason and having a strange conversation with her. We got onto the topic of religion and our beliefs and stuff like that. And she made it very clear that she was no longer religious. She had become agnostic. Now, for those of you who are like, wait, what is that again? Dictionary.com defines agnostic as a person who holds that the existence of the ultimate cause as God and the essential nature of things are unknown and unknowable. Another way to put it is an agnostic is a person who holds neither of the two opposing positions on a topic. So when it comes to religion or to a belief in God, the agnostic is like, 
I don't believe in God, but it also wouldn't shock me if somebody said it was true. They just choose not to take an opinion one way or the other. Now, for some reason, this girl had a hold on me, not a relational hold, but more of a mentor kind of thing, right? I looked up to her on some level. She was older than me. She was definitely smarter. And she always seemed to be in the know about the things that I didn't really understand. So when we had this conversation, I was shell-shocked, right? I mean, we were both raised as Christians, and she had gone to the same schools as me, so I didn't really see this coming. Of course, I was still an indoctrinated, possibly brainwashed Seventh-day Adventist young adult, so my immediate emotional response was fear, denial, and the belief that she had gone off the deep end. I had thoughts running through my head like, is she doing this just to be cool? Is this a new trend and she just wants to be part of it? I hope she doesn't go too far down that road. Maybe at some point she'll come to her senses and come back to the fold. Sound familiar? But that was it. That was literally my last interaction with her. We both graduated. We both went our separate ways. And over the years, um, I've been able to check in every now and then with her on social media to kind of follow the trajectory of her life. And for the early years, I think I just kept wondering if she ever made it back. But more recently, her story took on a whole different meaning for me. When I started to struggle with my own belief system, her struggle back in college started to make sense. I began to see why she may have gone down the road she did. In fact, in keeping with the level of intelligence, could it be that she simply had her awakening well before the average person? She was just ahead of her time. She began the deconstruction process while the rest of us continued to walk around with our heads in the sand. When I look back at that conversation, when I look back at her struggle and her admitting uh, to me that she had become agnostic, I now look at it as brave, bold, and extremely honest. When I think about making it out alive these days, I think of her. I think about the things that she was raised to believe and the brainwashing that she went through. I think about the activating event in her life, right? What it could have been that led to her awakening. And I think about the doubts she must have had, the questions that she asked, and the research that she had to do that led her away from the things that she was taught. And I think about the truth that she eventually found, the conclusion she eventually came to. And I wonder to this day where that path led her and how she would describe herself now. Why? Because I'm on the same path, only quite a ways behind her. And maybe knowing how her story turned out would give me hope and possibly answers to the questions that I have right now. Questions that I raised in this episode, like, were we really brainwashed? And how can we tell the difference between brainwashing and just good old education and upbringing? And on the things that we were brainwashed to believe, how do we make it out alive? Let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. First, what were you raised to believe? Second, can you tell the difference between the positive and the negative brainwashing? And finally, where are you at in the journey? Is your head still in the sand? Or have you reached a point in your life where you need to make some changes, where you need to ask some questions, search for truth, and eventually make it out alive? Well, that about wraps up this episode, um, but also the pseudo-series that it's attached to. 
Like I said, the first three episodes of this season are loosely connected, just not an actual series. So if you liked this episode, feel free to go back and listen to the first two. They should all make sense together. Again, thanks for joining us this week. Love having you with us on the journey. Um, As always, have a great week, everyone, and keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.